Oh yes, it's Weird Rap number seven. We have an amazing episode this time around. We got full-length interviews with producer, MC, futurist, Orko Elohim, and producer, MC, ufologist, and ghost hunter, Nomar Slevik. We got some little short interviews with Algernon Cornelius. We'll be talking about his new album. We'll be talking to Darko the Super about the new MF Grimm album that he produced. And I'll be talking to Yikes the Zero about his most recent album. We'll have exclusive song previews from Darko and Yikes. I'll be recommending a podcast and even more. First up, you may know him from his crew, The Masters of the Universe, his duo with Big Juss, Nephilim Modulation Systems, or his various solo ventures dating back to the mid-90s and continuing to this day. We proudly present Orko Elohim. A.K.A. Orko the Psychotic Alien, A.K.A. Triple Seven Beats, A.K.A. What am I missing? A bit basquiat, chakra Zulu, drum wars, ultranet, even. Yes, <laughs> I just dug these these babies out. You remember these? You uh, you saw oh, me these. Oh man, back in 04, I think it was super dope. The CDRs. That was in Finland. So uh, let's just start there. When did you start going over to Europe? Man, I started going over there like right when the millennium broke. That's when I first left America in early 2000 and just began a globe-tiding experience. Yeah. That time in Finland was very memorable me- meeting you. That was... Yeah, that was a special time for me. That was my first trip over there. Yeah, yeah, that was me. That was my first. That was the get down. That was a, the initial rising. Have you been going back recently? Nah, I've been taking care of my business in America. Yeah. And I look forward to heading back out there. You know what I mean? If they allow me in without a vaccination. You're, uh, you're not getting on team vaccination? <laughs> I'm like team wait and see, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. You know, no disrespect to everybody that's like hopping on that train, you know what I mean? Whatever. Whatever you're doing to stay safe. Yes, I. I was just listening to the song Outbreak that you did though. You remember that one? Yes. With the uh, Staple Mouth and Noah 23. Holy shit, yo. Noah 23 is the reason why that album got done. Oh, did that come out on Plague Language, Adams of Eden? Yeah, on Plague Language, yeah. And uh, he's the one that was the connector for um, Kingston and uh, me linking up with uh, Blue Sky, Black Death, Kingston Orphan, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, what a, what a crazy song, Outbreak, right? And now you're living through this shit, you know what I mean? And see the receive light, chemical rays from the sunlight, airborne eight little mistake by family one was spare back at a life track to the last one silent bullet on the earth gun violent to the side of outcome illuminaries no the game running all the victims of the pandemic there's no control of the outbreak battles each small for the weight loss stay face down with a side off never another ground with the life off who paid the most cost you stayed and got lost
All of my music's got that dystopian Philip K. Dick, the shit's about to hit the fan type vibe. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's something I kind of want to get into. Like, I was right with you there in the early 2000s studying my conspiracy theories, you know, and now it's all gone mainstream and flipped from what I thought was like a far left kind of thing to a far right sort of world with the, the QAnon and all that stuff, you know? So, Right. It's the new normal. It's weird, man. It make you want to just be regular, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm all like the skeptic now. I'm like, you don't yeah, know anything. Like, I, I, you, you're the one trying to anchor people down now and shit. It's like, man, you're off the fucking reservation. I mean, look, this is what I got to say about it. When we were doing our studying, we weren't being inundated with all of this shit. We had we had time to study different aspects of what is conspiracy fact. Now, anybody's trying to come with these like factoids that aren't being researched, you know, the nameless heroes that were doing this stuff on the VHS era. These cats were really scholars, you know, the Maxwell Jordans and the Coopers and you know what I mean? People that actually had information. They were legit. Let's just call it what it was. They were legit whistleblowers. And now that now people are being kind of inundated with all this information and it's creating a weird anxiety kind of thing. And we didn't think about it when we had this stuff, information given to, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have this endless encyclopedia of, of just, you could just binge watch the fucking, the bullshit. And now people have that. I think it's just, it's spinning people out. It's not, it's, is it helpful information or is it harmful? Back then, even back in like 05, I, I had to take a step back from it because it started making me paranoid, you know? And I think it, it's a, like a slippery slope when you start studying these unseen nefarious forces. You start seeing things in the shadows and it's not necessarily something that everyone is like mentally prepared to do without kind of going off the deep end sometimes. Yeah, like if if, if you want to make your fish bowl that big, you know what I mean? There's layers to everything and everybody, you know, can can realize that they're not on the inside layer of things if you start to pull them back. And uh, that's when you have things like out of sight, out of mind and ignorance is bliss and saying, you know, sayings like that, because. Those are people that walked to the edge of the cliff and came back and was just like, oh, fuck that. I thought that I thought that that's what I wanted to know. I thought, you know, I believe that. I know enough of the truth that I don't want to know the absolute truth. And anyone who has enough information and knowledge like me would probably understand that last statement I just made. Yeah, I guess I don't know, but 
Yeah. As I've as I've thought I got closer to the truth, it got more and more scary to the point where I just wish I didn't know or wish I didn't think I knew some things that I thought I knew. But you know, no one no one can really know anything for certain. That's what I think. Yeah, it's got something to do with some type of energy source food for something else or whatever the fuck is cracking. But all I can tell people is just try to be as happy as possible because being negative is definitely feeding something. Well, you know, what's funny is back in those days when I first met you and I was just like, just getting weirded out. That dude, Staple Mouth on Oahu, was telling me all these stories like he's the son of these high-ranking Freemasons. He's got reptilian blood, and that's why he can rap so fast. And then I was hearing you. You're, you're rapping really fast about shit that I'm not sure what you're saying. You're saying you're a psychotic alien. I'm like, is he, is he one of the bad guys? Is he, is he part of this shit? <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, you know, all the heroes need a good villain, right? <laughs> I'm not on Team Doom. But I mean, I'm down with Doom. Doom Malay is my people's rest in peace. But like, as far as like good guy, bad guy, you know, it's all duality. But if, if there's a, a, a side that I stand in, I stand in the light. You know what I mean? And not the false light. I mean, the light, light. Yeah. The dark that is the light. You know what I mean? So like um yeah, just giving, you know, praise to my higher word sign power, you know, the Elohim, the higher powers, you know what I mean? We deal with the Nephilim. We're not the cherubim. We're not gonna just pray for you. We come in with the swords, lyrical swords. <laughs> to chop the heads right off, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was really dope meeting you. You reminded me of a couple of my brethrens back in Cali when I met you. I was like, yo, this cat is deep. You came out, yeah, like bat wings and like you was rocking the, uh, the Japanese downhill ski suit. <laughs> yeah, man. But I remember that one show we did out there and um, I think maybe it was the last show we did together in Finland. Like in the forest? Yeah, at that house, at that like anarchy kind of house. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, that shit was fucking blow, blow, blow. Shout outs to the whole Finland crew, you know what I mean? Epic times. Yeah, I need to get in touch with Tommy again. Are you, have you talked to him recently? I haven't talked to Tommy in a very long time, but I know he's doing art and I know he got really big on dubstep and production. All the cats out there were like audiophiles. They had like crazy ass studios underneath in those war bunker like get downs with the submarine doors and they fucking all of their basements was like bomb shelters with submarine doors and that's where people were putting their music studios. So maybe you don't know about this then, because after the dubstep and grime phase, Tommy got into doing this Memphis-style gangster rap, like patterned after Triple Six Mafia or whatever. He calls himself Evil Stu, I think. And he's like a big-name artist in Finland now. Like that whole 
evil stir thing blew up. And now I think he doesn't even answer emails anymore. I tried to contact him a, a little while back and didn't get a reply. But yeah, it's working out for him. <laughs> Evil stuff. That, that's what time it is. Well, shout outs to Evil Star. I guess that's the new wave. Yeah. <laughs> That shit's probably hard as fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, I did. I went back there in like 06, I think it was. And I did a little mini tour of Finland with him when he was first starting that. He was in like this ski mask and he had his voice pitched down. And then he had this other guy with his voice pitched up and they're just like rapping in Finnish. I don't know about gangster shit, I guess, but it was ridiculous. Damn. Anyway, let's go back further in time, man. I want to I wanna go back to the early days, like, you know, with the Masters of the Universe. How'd the Masters of the Universe come together? Well, we were all, like, destined to come together. And the craziest thing is that we all lived in the same neighborhood. That's the weird shit. It's like, damn, how the fuck could all that much talent be from the same neighborhood? You know what I mean? We was just kids mobbing around, going to thrift shops, stealing needles off of turntables and grabbing up a couple pair of funky clothes while we were at it. You know what I mean? Just like, you know, latchkey kids, you know, working class, raising ourselves, you know what I mean? Because our parents might have had a little something, but they didn't have enough for us to have no damn supervision you know what i'm saying <laughs> so we just got into art man a lot of that shit is is being raised by like yo mtv raps that shit was in, in rap city that shit was like apparent to me you know what i mean like all like hip-hop was like uh was like a parent it taught me so much. Like I'm the same age as the commercialization or unification of our art form. You know, 44 years young. If I even claim Earth, that's my Earthling date. But there's a significance in that. You know what I mean? That like I grew up with the art form, and I've always wanted to give back to it. Last month, I interviewed uh, Sunspot Jones for Mystic Journeyman. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, I was talking about, you know, the early underground music distribution industry, the self-recording and hand-to-hand distribution, selling tapes on the street. And uh, yeah. 
I know you did that to some degree too. So, Oh, the degree. What inspired you to do that? Was there someone else doing it before you that you saw that I could do that? Or Yeah, hell yeah. Too Short and NWA. I learned this shit from Too Short and NWA. I found out that Too Short was selling his cassettes and records out of his trunk in Oakland, you know, and MC Hammer was doing the same shit too. Yeah, that's cool. Sunspot also named uh, Too Short as a big inspiration for the self-distribution. Yeah, he, yeah, he's the, he's the he's the fucking the cassette king of Cali. Him and Easy E, you know what I mean? Those motherfuckers, they they was dope enough to fucking have their own shit. And thank God they did that shit because they they made my childhood hella fun. So were you out on the streets selling your tapes a lot? Was that you? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. All up and down, all across America, man. I'd like follow a tour of an artist that was like kind of like-minded like minds and like follow them for a couple dates and like crash at different people's houses and like just sell music to the crowd. Yeah. Just like rocking other people's shit like a deadhead like i was just like okay this motherfucker's in town oh they got like three or four shows in my area i could make it to those shows maybe get on stage a couple times like a lot of artists we would do that we would call that a little blow up let me get a little blow up you know because everybody's got their little cassettes and, and and cds and whatever little merch and it's like yo Guess who's in town, who's in the crowd, you know, give them a verse to like smash and get off stage and sell merch. We would do that for each other in the underground. You know what I mean? Especially the homie, like, you know, people like Sunspot, like how you mentioned, you know what I mean? The, the High Roads, the Mystics, the Blodians, my crew, you know what I mean? Southern California crew and um, uh, G-Pack and, you know, we'd, we'd all shield each other. You know what I mean? I was out there, um, the college I went to had a, a, a couple cassette duplicators. They had some type of weird system of audio cassette books at this college I went to. And they had a whole bunch of cassette burn. They had like three cassette burners. So I'd go to this place called Tapes off a of university in San Diego in, in Hillcrest, like in the beginning of the Hillcrest. It was this tape spot. And I would get either tapes made there or a media one in Los Angeles, or I would buy the tapes bulk and go to that college and duplicate my own shit. And I, I called my shit fuck the industry because at that point, the boot without a soul shit was kind of big. And, you know, we did a lot of like industry type shit and I was kind of fed up with making demos and and the the whole roundabout way of the industry four thousand dollars to make a song how's it four thousand dollars to make a song it's a hundred dollars an hour plus engineer time and you got a real time drop the beat simty and midi doing like eight nine ten passes just to get one beat come on man when you got to sync shit up right there, that's three, $400 out the window just getting your beat set up. Who knows how long it's going to take for you to, to rhyme the shit 
and mix and master and drop it down. So come on, back in when I came up, it costs anywhere from two to four thousand dollars to make a song. Motherfuckers is really lucky right now. That's why the musicality was different. You had to be really serious. Even if you was making, we had people making mean music back in the days too, like Malcolm McLaren and shit like that. But you still had to be real serious to drop that type of loot, to buy that type of fucking caliber equipment. It really, you know, separated the boys from the men. You know what I mean? Yeah. So did you get a four track at a certain point then? Yeah. So, you know, everybody had the big studio hookup. Well, we would say the big studio, that would be like somebody's big home studio. You know what I mean? Not like a commercial studio, but people had, you know, somebody that might have had one ADAT or two ADATs or something connected to their shit. So you had ways to get quality shit made if you wanted to wait in line or whatever, because those things was high in demand. But I always, you know, invested in my own shit. So my first year in college, I had a whole bunch of like raggedy ass equipment until I bought my homeboy Donald uh, Bakari Mitchell. Um, I bought his his old setup, which it consisted of a Fostech six track with four tracks was only working. The yeah, two tracks were busted, <laughs> a couple microphones, two Insonic Mirages. Having those two Insonic Mirages, let me tell you, that is the lo-fi machine. It's crazy how kids are into that shit. You know what I mean? When I was making beats like mine, moved in memory from Doomsday Prophet, who would know, like, you know, who would think that like 27 years later, you know, it would be like a craze for that type of music. Yeah. So was Micro Crucifixions the first tape that you duplicated at the college? Yeah. Yep. It's the first. <laughs> it's the first. After years of making demos and all types of shit, that was the first shit. We was just like, fuck it. We're not waiting for nothing else. We're not waiting to try to get no more deals. We're not doing no more meetings. Fuck all this shit. Matter of fact, fuck the industry. And that's when I came up with my first imprint, Fuck the Industry, which was basically, I don't care. I'll make records for free on my four track and sell them for one dollar. Like the first thing I wanted to do, I wanted to crash the music industry. But the way I wanted to do that was by selling my music for like one dollar. You know what I mean? <laughs> Selling like really good music for like fucking way cheaper than anybody else. And I could put out any music anytime I wanted to not being owned by anybody or any entity. I can just put out. So that's how I was doing so albums like Crop Formation. Crop Formations, I did that in the afternoon on Mushrooms. You know what I mean? We were like... <laughs> Like the kids nowadays, they're not the only ones that just can shit out music. Like we were like, I like freestyle that album on a mushroom trip. 
I'm telling you, Ganja Sufi was right there in the corner. He drove me to Taylor Johnson's house that day. We had made the beats earlier that week. We, we pulled up to his house like on a Saturday morning, hella early, probably like breakfast time, drunk off sangria and a couple blunts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Popped up some shrooms and like started recording. And I freestyled that shit and did my background vocals like right back afterward. Like Sumach's mouth was like, why? Like, what the fuck? Like even Taylor Tosh was like, how the fuck did you freestyle all that shit and then know what you was going to say the second time to hit your background vocals right on cue? I was like, because, man, the fucking force, Rasta. <laughs> There's been songs in my career that basically I say they wrote themselves. You know, a lot of that stuff on Elohim Soundwave Scientists and abortion like a lot of those songs they come from the dream state and when i wake up to this reality i i write down what i was thinking about in a more freer open state or astral traveling realm not all of them but some of them a lot of the content heavy shit is shit that i bring from the dream state into this reality Cause it's real prophetic, man. I fuck myself up when I listen to this shit and I'm just like, Oh, but it, it it's just as prophetic as good sci-fi. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm really into science fiction. I'm really into the entertainment of it. There's gotta be art for thinkers. And I'm like, yo, okay. Then that could be my market. Like fucking nerds and like people that are just really scientific or, it's hardcore hip-hop cats that are just deep thinkers. Back to the sci-fi, let's talk about the name, the alien name itself. Have you, yeah. have you felt like an outsider, or wh where do you really identify with the alien? Oh, man. Um, the truth is, I feel that ever since I was a child, being just really, you know, trippy, and just entertaining myself and, you know, being all up in my own head, I would say that I was alienating myself from the human psyche. So I was an alien in thought pattern and frequency and like just being completely different. Even for weirdos, I was weird. So... First, it was Orko the Bummer. Orko the what? Bummer. Oh. Yeah, because I would come around with this truth that was so heavy, it would just bum people out. I knew about a lot of what people would call conspiracy truth and whistleblowing shit, like in the junior high. Some of my family, they were like, a lot of them, they thought that, you know, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because they knew about the truth about drugs and all the shit that people are just finding out about crack and all that shit. Come on. I don't even know how like certain people in my circle, elder people, but they already knew what was going down with that shit before, even before the Ali North trials and all that shit. I guess like, if you're like kind of smart, I guess you don't even have to be no conspiracy motherfucker. 
you could just see through the bullshit. You know what I mean? But like I was armed with a lot of information early. So that's why they would call me the bummer. You know what I mean? Uh, here come this motherfucker with this information that's just going to bum me the fuck out. And then I dressed, I, I, I shopped at thrift shops. You know what I mean? I was wearing a lot of vintage shit for back then. So think about all the vintage shit I was finding. It was like grandpa pants and like <laughs> Argyle shit and just like looking <laughs> Looking hella what crazy like uh, flannel print pants and just like golf pants, wild ass like with some running shoes or something like that. That was our style, you know what I mean? And um, yeah, and then after that, it just became the alien and the psychotic alien, and and the mythos that comes up with it is that I was a paper boy. Yeah, this is exclusive <laughs> on the weird rap get down, yo. I had about a hundred different houses on my paper route. So I had to do it in two trips before sixth grade started, before school started in the morning. So I go out and I make my first trip and I come back to the house and I load up my little basket and stuff for my second load of papers. So I go out there and I'm going and I get to this park like called Tuma Park. And I'm telling you, man, as I'm rolling back from my paper route, a weird ass feeling came over me. I don't know what the fuck it was but it was a weird ass feeling and, and, and the feeling said, don't look up, but I had to look up anyway. Right. <laughs> Cause the feeling said, whatever you do, don't look up. Cause it's pitch black on a pitch black street that only has a couple different lights on it. Right. As soon as I look up, my heart almost stopped because it was a fucking the slowest UFO I've ever seen. The shit was silent as hell. It was massive lights. Now, now what I can say, what I was explaining it for years until I kept explaining it and realized what I was explaining was like a stealth bomber. But, like, imagine if you seen a stealth bomber in 1988 fly over your neighborhood real fucking low, like, 20 years before that fucking shit was even revealed. Like, what I thought was a UFO probably was some secret DARPA shit. It looked like the space shuttle but the wings was reversed. Have you ever seen like those F-16s and the wings are facing forward? Yeah, I know. Inverted forward with lights on the bottom of the shit. Fam, it was moving like a blimp. (laughs) It was moving like, let me tell you something, you know, like Macy's, 
the parade, Thanksgiving parade, when people is holding the shit, just moving slow down the street and shit like that. <laughs> like, like I'm saying, the shit was just like in the air. If it was moving, if if it was moving any slower, you would say the shit was just sitting in the air, hovering in the air. It was moving so slow. It was moving like a fucking cloud, Rasta. And it wasn't making no damn noise. And I was just like, that, I think that more than anything was fucking me up in that experience. Cause I was like, how the fuck is something that big not making a fucking sound? Man, I dropped my, I dropped my, my bike, ran home, ran home. That's all I remember was dropping my bike. So I don't know what happened if I was abducted or not. I'll leave it right there. <laughs> that is a beautiful origin story. <laughs> How old were you at that time? Man, I was 11 years old. And that was right before my hip hop career took off. But that, that alien story... Me running into that pyramid technology, what it, whether it was like either the shit was the technology where we get the stealth shit from, or it was some secret military shit that was just flying over my neighborhood. You know what I mean? And what I was kind of told that like, you know, because we're all the, the West Coast is being protected from China and all types of shit. It's like, you know, it's all types of secret tech out there protecting the West Coast, protecting the Pacific Ocean and shit like that. And I used to watch like Robotech and shit like that. And I asked my father, I'd be like, damn, will we have shit like that one day? And he'd be like, well, you know, they say today sci-fi is tomorrow reality. So I grew up hearing things like that. Today's sci-fi is tomorrow's reality. Things like that, like echo in my mind, you know? Yeah, man. I'm looking at the uh, Orcotech uh, cover right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seems like a lot of that. There was a movie called The Returner and it was like these uh, airplanes that were like transforming these aliens. They were they were like turning into like airplanes and shit like that looking all crazy like different type of like insects and shit like that like techno insects and shit but yeah man that 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 whole shit man all that mind expansion and all of that shit is really good man everybody should just be careful you know, not to like, you know, go too far. I would say, you know, keep your kite string in your hand. You know, you can let your kite go as high as you want it to go. You know what I mean? But find a way to keep your string on the ground. Don't let your string go. 
Don't let your kite keep flying in the galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) It might not land. Yeah. It might just fly into the sun. (laughs) Yeah, but Orco Tech is like the best of Orco, like collaboration verses that um, I think a lot of my fan base didn't get a chance to hear. And I wanted those verses to get to see some daylight again. So I put together a whole bunch of uh, collaboration songs that I did across America with dope artists. Yeah, I, I highly recommend people go check out the Orcotech album on uh, orcoelohim.bandcamp.com. Uh, it's a beautiful collection. It's one of my favorites. Yo, least. man. You, you, man, you, you've been doing some wild ass shit too, man. You mean David Lieberhart? Yeah, David Lieberhart. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, man, I can't even watch that shit, bro. That shit fucking makes my back hurt. That shit is so hilarious. It like hurts, bro. Yeah, you know, I'm into the weird shit. What's up? (laughs) Yeah. I, I basically know, man. Like, are you still in the Bay? Where are you at now? I'm in Nevada City, California, which is like three hours east of the Bay. You ever been out this way? What, like the Sierra Nevada Music Fest? Yeah, yeah. Right in there, Nevada City, Grass Valley area. But I'm, I'm like on the outskirts in the forest. This is where I grew up. Yeah, that's good. So you, you stole your uh, royal oats, and now you, you're gathering some moss. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, working towards being that old grizzled hermit in the woods rapper, you know. Oh, man, we need those. As the gray hairs come in, get myself a straw cap and a rocking chair. And be Yo, like, what, whatever, whatever happened to hairdresser Mike? I never oh, met man. this guy. Yeah, yeah, hairdresser Mike. Shout outs to hairdresser Mike. We, we just, we just... <laughs> We just thought that album cover and that name was so hilarious, bro. We were like, yo, we got to meet this guy. Oh, man. Was he like a real hairdresser? Yeah. We remembered that dude. We just know that there's this legendary dude in Hawaii named Hairdresser Mike. Yeah, I forgot that. I must have gave you the CD. But yeah, I think he would be hyped. And I'm hyped to hear that (laughs) you and Big Jess have listened to hairdresser mike um yeah i, I kind of lost touch with him but every once in a while i'll check in he's he's out on the big island in hawaii um doing his thing he i think he got carpal tunnel so he had to stop uh cutting hair i don't know what oh shit <laughs> oh shit damn he's on some real fucking edward scissorhand shit now huh <laughs> yeah. damn if anyone's interested i'm uh uploading the one and only Hairdresser Mike album. It's very rare at this point, but I'm going to make it available at patreon.com slash weird rap. Classic weird rap album from Maui, Hawaii, 2004. As the whip goes cracking, 40 hours of crack, they got us breaking our backs. Wow, they raping us with tax. Now I'm taking it back. My silent white legal tracks. As the whip goes crack, 40 ounces of crack.
Yeah, man, that that whole that whole shit is deep, man. I'm in, you know, the weird shit like uh, cursive dialect and all that yeah. shit. You know what I mean? Just wacky raps. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even before like nerdcore came out and stuff like that, we just underground hip hop is already nerd rap. You know what I'm saying? Like rap Olympic ass, just rapidly rap ass motherfuckers especially from yeah. my era you know what i mean it's just like damn this fool really fucking loves to rap yeah it's the nerds as in outsiders that don't fit in and that just are obsessed with rap music yeah exactly exactly the real you know that real jello shit the, the weirdos win you know straight up yeah, man, this has been like a beautiful journey of making art and friends and cosmic connections, cosmic connectivity, you know, through this sound, you know what I mean? I've been really going somewhere with this music, you know, and now it's really get, getting to a very good place, you know. We're working on some new NMS material. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, it's not like some old fucking Pink Floyd, like it, it might come out. We already got this shit. It's mostly done. It's going to be released a song by song. We got a working title. Yeah. I've really, I've been creating art under pseudonyms, Ultranet. Yeah. Uh, doing more like EDM, future bass type music with minimal lyrics. Uh, the ancient future I did with AC alone, Self Jupiter, myself, Daisy Villa, um, the genie. I, I, I did some stuff with Divine Styler on his album, Death Mask. Um, I've been doing a lot of art over the years, but I haven't been doing a lot of solo orco stuff. And now I'm about to drop that with the new single, Clusterfuck. It's an instrumental, but it's still a very poignant record. It's 2020 compressed in three minutes and 47 seconds. Nice. So it, it's still drum wars. It's still drum machines, graffiti, and ghetto blasters. You're talking about Big Just, and yeah. people haven't heard from this guy since, like, 2012 he put out his last project so can you talk a little bit about what you've been doing with him and what's up with him and what's up with big just well you call yourself the mole right this motherfucker is very mole huh holy moly this motherfucker is like super hibernation mole first of all he doesn't do social media he doesn't do the internet he doesn't do none of that shit he just makes art and graffiti you know what i mean he's like a real painter and musician you know and he's dedicated to it but yeah man oh man i'm glad we didn't drop no records during the trump era and all that shit man that dude would have been too easy of a target you know what i mean we're going for the big fish bo jiden <laughs> <laughs> We put some real cheese on the trap now. Get this fucking dims. Nah, man. All that shit is rich people telling poor people what to fucking do. 
I, I don't give a fuck what nobody say. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Yeah. This shit is all like everybody runs from left to right every fucking four years. The short term memory loss in this country is fucking cuckoo. Yeah. Motherfuckers can't even remember what the fuck happened four years ago. Like motherfuckers completely forgot about Bush. We're like 20 years deep into a war that this motherfucker started and motherfuckers don't even know who, what, when, where, why, or the motherfucker who even got us into the shit is like ancient history. Yeah, man. It's just the empire doing empire things as usual. It's just like a continuation of the Bush years, which is a continuation of ancient history at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caesar and all that shit. It's another... It's another campaign. <laughs> it's another campaign. So, and, and you know, this was a lot of what Nephilim modulation systems was about. Why do you think Saddam most trusted born regiments called the Republican Guard? Demons fight demons on Beast Vision. Tonight at five, after the presidential speech. Would you say that you're kind of just continuing your, your trajectory uh, thematically, lyric-wise? Yes, yes. And we are, not only are we being more solution-oriented, but, I mean, we still, you know, it's still fun to poke out the problems. We ain't going to, like, be all you know rainbows and shit like that but yeah we we definitely break down a lot of scenarios and lockstep and you guys are just going to love when i say love this record you're gonna love it because they're both eps they're both short as fuck so like nms3 is really like three tracks with a couple interludes and some stuff kind of like draped around it. So it's like maybe like seven tracks and NMS4 is a little bit longer. Nice. And then we have solo EPs, which we're both featured on, kind of like Ray and Ghost kind of vibes and stuff like that. So it's four projects all together that's about to come out that is like a part of this NMS launch beautiful what can we expect sonically from these things what kind of beats are we dealing with well once again the sound of nms is mostly me but besides that big just is producing a couple tracks on this album so sonically is some throwback shit like the first single is a track that i produced in 2005 like we're grabbing like the dopest beats from all these eras. That's the funniest thing is about my music mall. Like if people was to come to my crib, Star System Blacktica, the void where I make my art, if they saw the metadata on the on the beats that I'm playing, when people listen to my music and they see the date that's time stamped on these beats, they're just like, yo. That's fucking dubstep. 
like 10 years before motherfuckers was calling it dubstep. Like, you know, all that's this type of drum and bass. And, you know, I've always gotten to electronic music. I've always been into that and break beats and amen drums and hip step or drum and bass vocals, like how TC Islam would do it. But like, I always thought that like underground hip hop would sound dope over drum and bass. Yeah, and it does. Yeah, I always push that. Like, yo, these motherfucking lyrics and styles over these hard-ass fucking rolling drums and bass lines. Man, give me some fucking hard-ass footwork or drum and bass or fucking dubstep with some ill-ass lyrics. Give me some shit like that, some powerful shit like that with some lyrics. That's the only way I'm not listening to some real dusty ass tape hit shit. I listen to the most grimiest shit and then less and then like listen to like the most cleanest fucking pristine crystal fucking Alaskan lake sounding drum and bass ever. You know what I mean? Like the just juxtaposition of it all, like the beautiful chaos. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love I love chaotic break beats with symphonic overtones yeah man we haven't talked much about your production but i will just uh summarize it in saying that it's a beautiful range you know you're you're working with everything from traditional kind of hip-hop beats to drum and bass and you know dub aesthetics and it's just wonderful you're a treasure yo thank you brother thank you and i want to thank everybody out there for finding my music, all of the artists out there that were either inspired by my art or helped me on my journey, man, thank you for doing your part and creating this sound art composition. Because like I say, uh, earth is the canvas, life is art. Everyone's a paintbrush, play your part. And the heart is the first drum beat of the human drum machine so i want to thank all the artists out there all around the world who who are taking their time to put something into the world from their heart and their soul whether it be from a point of anger or a point of struggle or a point of just folly or a point of love or a point of intellect or just a way of being weird to express yourself on this spaceship earth. And then if you're weird enough, you can come hang out with the mole and me. Oh man. That is a beautiful, beautiful way to end it. Hey, hey man. Like let me tell him, man. Hey, please. I know a lot of people from my generation don't like to click like or subscribe. And they used to listening to my music on vinyl, cassette, CD, whatever. But also, if you get a chance to listen to my music digitally online through your phone, make sure you click a like or subscribe or or hit me up on any of my platforms. And, you know, don't think that I'm, like, too big to, like, use your help or, like, oh, Oracle doesn't need me to listen to his music or whatever. But, hey... I have so much music that 
people get into my art and then lose track of it. And they don't know it's like all this other music is my music as well. So do the due diligence and find all that, that heavy Orco shit. Yes, I drum And yeah, we'll talk a little bit uh, on email or whatever, because maybe there's some other ways I can help push the Orco gospel. The drum machine compels you, brother. Yeah. The drum machine compels you, brother. We got kicks and drums from the Lord. Now, everybody get on their knees and worship this drum machine. Yes, brother. The hour of power. No, I'm just, I'm just being serious. No, I'm just man. <laughs> no. no, thank you, man. Thank you for allowing me to be on, on, on your platform. I know we, we missed each other a couple months back, but I was moving and, uh, Everything is divine timing, man. Thank you yeah, so much, brother. It's better this way. I'm glad that because I was I had set someone else up to interview, but I'm glad that you know you and I got to reconnect. And you know, man, don't don't send a guinea pig to do a mole's job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not calling your man a guinea pig, but what I'm saying is you're the mole. Yeah, man. I mean, MC Homeless Orco just called you a guinea pig. What you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bro. <laughs> no, I didn't even know. <laughs> no, nah, homeless. No, hey, <laughs> one love. Hey, one love, y'all. All right, thank you, man. And we out. Talk to you later. Peace. For an additional half hour of my conversations with Orko and our next guest, Nomar Slevik, plus the full Hairdresser Mike album, you can go to Patreon.com/WeirdRap. Sign up for $3 a month. That gets you the full back catalog of bonus episodes and a new one every month. Five bucks a month now gets you Weird Rap stickers as well as membership to the Weird Rap Discussion Gang, which means you can interact with us live via text in our mostly weekly Zoom discussion group. Next up, this guy is a weird rapper and producer. I've known him for a couple decades now. And he has more recently become a paranormal researcher. It's Nomar... Nomar Slevik. Basically, I came across your podcast, uh, season four of I Want to Believe, yeah. and I checked it out for the first time, and cool. I was really impressed, man. It's, it's awesome. Like, Thanks, dude. Like, professionally recorded. You can obviously hear your, uh, your you know, production and engineering background in there. It sounds really good. You got a nice soothing voice and <laughs> you're presenting these these stories, these paranormal stories with a mostly like even keeled sort of manner where you're you're not interjecting a whole lot of your own analysis of the stories. They're presented more or less dry. You present skeptical explanations as well as like more open-minded accounts and it's it it lacks like any real sense of like melodrama that a lot of these sort of uh presentations i think would be prone to yeah they they can definitely be prone to it and i'm glad you picked up on some of that stuff because it's deliberate just because i really enjoy the paranormal i definitely don't believe everything and in my professional works with writing or podcast or whatever, I don't want to uh, come across as telling you to believe in something. 
you know, there's a little bit of warnings in there in some of the uh, in some of the episodes, like uh, you know, don't believe everything you hear just because a police officer saw. Uh, you know, a six foot tall creature with a cape and a white face, it doesn't mean it was an actual vampire. It is not what it probably was. But there's this creature called the Mineral Point Vampire that people have seen and they've given it that moniker based on its appearance. And I just think that's fascinating in and of itself. And I just wanted to share those accounts. And and that's pretty much how every episode goes. And that's how my writings go and all my research. I try to uh, get as much information I can, suss out the the BS and present it as is without uh, putting um, my personal opinion on it because I want the reader or the listener to uh, decide for themselves. And uh, I think that's the fun of the paranormal. And I do also want to get into your personal beliefs and how, sure. you know, all this research has, you know, shaped your own cosmology around <laughs> the, the paranormal. Yeah. And I also really like the the hip hop element of the podcast. You know, you cut in these like rap medleys. You interviewed Berzowski, who we yeah. featured on the, the Weird Rap podcast. The listeners may be familiar. So, so, yeah, man, I love it. I'm so glad. Yeah. And now, like, Let's go back. What got you interested in the paranormal stuff in the first place? That goes back to the uh, early 80s. I was uh, like four years old. I don't remember exactly, but I had my own encounter. And I, th- I think I saw a UFO. I-, I didn't know it at the time, though. But I was sound asleep. I was living in Fort Kent, Maine, which is right next to Canada. And I'm sound asleep. Um, a loud bang woke me up and I, uh, you know, my eyes kind of popped open and they were darting around for some sort of explanation. And I started hearing rain, uh, hitting the windows. And then I saw the sky kind of lighting up and I was like, Ooh, with a thunder and lightning storm. So I knelt up on my bed to, uh, watch the lightning and there were little streaks here and there, but just after a moment, there was like this jagged yellow lightning bolt that got like stuck in a cloud. And it was like, if, if I were to uh, ask you to draw a lightning bolt or like the, the charging indicator on your smartphone, you know, you draw this jagged yellow line and that's what my four-year-old mind anyways saw stuck in a cloud and there was electricity coming off of it. And there were booms, you know, associated with it, you know, and I don't really know what happened after that. I guess I just kind of fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning, went to the bathroom and walking back from the bathroom, I could see out my bedroom window and the lightning bolt was still there. And so I ran downstairs to get my dad to show him. And I brought him all the way upstairs. I don't know why we didn't just go outside, but I brought him all the way upstairs to look out the window and it was gone. And I was trying to explain to him what happened. And I don't think I was making a whole lot of sense. He kind of did the, you know, pat on the head, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you do with a, you know, a four-year-old. And, but I must've been pretty insistent because he, he kind of got down on my level, put his hands on my shoulders and was like, listen, it didn't even like, there was no storm last night. It wasn't even raining. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I thought that was pretty weird, you know? 
And fast forward a couple weeks, and my dad is waking my sister and I up at like two o'clock in the morning, or that's what it seemed like to me. It could have been 10, I don't know, and brought us outside to show us the northern lights. And that was the only time I had ever seen them. But it was just as weird and unusual as seeing that lightning bolt stuck in a cloud. So I think it instilled in me at a very young age that like weird shit happens in the sky and I should probably pay attention. And ever since those two encounters, that's what I've been doing. And as I got older, as I got to be a teenager, I was like, oh shit, that thing that lightning bolt with electricity off of it. I, I bet that must've been like a UFO. Like, I don't know what the hell that was, you know? So that, that was kind of the catalyst for, for all that shit, you know? Now, in case our listeners don't know, of course you are a rapper, not just a paranormal researcher. So when I first heard your music, how did we first get in contact with each other? Do you remember? I really don't, man. Um, like maybe aim a JD Walker connection kind of seems. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it could be, or maybe some message board or something. Or... Yeah, maybe a message board. That's crazy though, because it's literally been like, I mean, now, I mean, geez, it's twenty twenty one, so it could have been like a couple of decades now, man. <laughs> like that's crazy to think. Yeah, about. it was two thousand and two, probably yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's nuts. Yeah, but my first. Um, my first introduction to your music was the Sword Part 7 oh God, album. Yeah. yeah. And that wasn't actually, that wasn't Part 7 of a series, was it? Was it was not. Kind of it was just labeled as such for cork value. Keep a hundred fucking candles being described. You have a fucking head in the place, fucking night. A dodge, microphone chops, the rocks, they got spots. Ran around the block, watch me drive, then a fight. I fold the fucking real my tracks, so we still but never proud as a fire when the body fucking burp. Man, I wanna hear that again, cause I was looking through my CDs and I couldn't find my copy and it's not online. Is there any chance you'll ever put on up some of your old music? Cause you're uh No, I couldn't imagine I would. <laughs> your band camps, you know, it's it doesn't have a lot of your old releases. No, so. no. It, you know, whatever uh, for, you know, if I'm embarrassed by something or think that it could be mixed or mastered better, I just has, have taken it off, you know, and, mm. uh, and, and, uh, if I have, you know, the raw files, then I have been pretty good about remastering stuff over the years or remixing stuff over the years. Um, but I haven't really, uh, if I don't have the raw files, then I don't really post them. So. Anyway, what I was getting at is when I first heard your music, which I did enjoy, and I well, I would like to hear it again if there's any <laughs> chance of it. Um, I didn't hear a real strong uh, paranormal influence in the in the lyrics. Maybe I was just missing it, but it seemed like it became more overt when you you started doing the Sasquatch project. As someone who had spent his life exploring the hidden interconnectivity of disparate emblems and ideologies, he viewed the world as a web of profoundly intertwined histories and events. The connections may be invisible, but they are always there.
Yeah, yeah. I think it became more overt as I was discovering myself or or being true to myself more musically. Uh, yeah. Before just making music, I was just trying to make anything that sounded good, you know, to me anyways, and writing lyrics that, you know, you think you're cool, <laughs> you know, or that you think is cool. You know, when you're 15, 16, 17, you know, you're just writing bullshit and trying to sound interesting, but you're not really saying much, you know, unless uh, that's just, I'm just speaking about me and my experience. There are plenty of 15, 16, 70 year olds who actually already have a voice and are saying things very well. Uh, but there's a lot that aren't too. But anyways, um, my experience with it though, was I, I was discovering myself and I don't think it wasn't really until I was into my early twenties where I was more comfortable with, with being myself and, uh, you know what, like I'm a weirdo, uh, I have feelings, I'm sensitive and I'm not ashamed of that. And, uh, I really like the paranormal, like music and the paranormal, uh, were, were something that I grew up with loving, uh, since, uh, you know, single digit years and, and why I didn't put them together sooner was probably just a, a, a confidence thing, you know? But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you you seemed maybe a little bit more influenced by other music at the time. You seem like you had a little bit of a maybe a gangster influence even. Oh, absolutely. Like like even now I'm wearing a Ruthless Records t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Which is ridiculous cuz you know, a lot of that music is problematic uh these days, but dang it if that the actual music isn't so good, you know. The yeah. you know, the Dr. Dre beats and all that good stuff, but uh, but yeah, definitely heavily influenced by what I was listening to at the time. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's basically, it's not really, a uh, uh, a nice or poetic explanation to it. I, you know, I'm just a big idiot and, uh, I, I wrote what I was, um, interested in commercially, you know, and, uh, obviously I don't do that anymore <laughs> or, or for no. quite some time. <laughs> It it is a poetic explanation. I think you just well, started thanks, gradually becoming more and more true to yourself to the point where now, yeah. like your last album, what was it called? The last um, proper album you put out? Uh, the last proper album I think was uh, the sound. Yeah, almost all just paranormal themed stuff. Yeah. And that's awesome. I mean, there's very few rappers, if any, that go so so deep into, you know, research-based paranormal rap, I would <laughs> yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's accurate. <laughs> so at some point, I gathered, did you, you start doing ghost hunting? Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, that was kind of like early twenties and I was just like, fuck it, man. Like I need my professional life uh, at that point was abysmal. Like I assume most 20 year olds are, you know, you hate your job. I, for me anyways, I was getting paid uh, shit and it was hard to, um, you know, pay rent and all that bullshit. And 
I was just in this place where I'm like, you know, if, if everything around me is shit, my love life, my professional life, like I gotta find something or do something that makes me happy and is true to me, you know, cause you can only sit around so much, at least in my experience, you know, getting high and bitching about shit or, or whatever. And there comes a point where, you know, I either kill myself or try to do something to make myself a little bit happy. And I'll tell you, that's not just an off the cuff remark. I struggle to this day with anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation is a big part of my life. And I think it's good to normalize that kind of conversation. So I I just want to make sure people know that I'm not saying that I'm not saying those words flippantly, like that I'm typically in a dark place and I come up for air for the things that I have passion about. And that's, you know, the paranormal that's, uh, you know, I can count on one hand, maybe the amount of people that I can do that for and, uh, not a whole lot else, you know, obviously music, but that's taken a back burner these days. So yeah, just to bring it back full circle to, to, to what you were talking about. Yeah, I was ghost hunting and I was just trying to find an outlet so I could find some sort of happiness, you know, and that was a big source of happiness because it's cool as hell (laughs) as, uh, you know, some, you know, if, if any of your listeners, all they know about ghost hunting is what they see on TV, then they don't really have a good grasp on what it's actually like. It's, uh, It really comes down to helping people that are having truly an unusual but hard time. These are people with children. These are people that are scared. And it feels good to be able to go into somebody's house and conduct an investigation, which may take anywhere from five to 10 hours, and come back at them with, you know what, everything you're experiencing, like you're not crazy. We experienced that too. And here's some proof of it. Or in which happened more often was we didn't find anything, but we did find that your alarm clock, which is right next to your head all night is bleeding electromagnetic fields. And if you're susceptible to electromagnetic fields, then that can lead to nausea, that can lead to paranoia, that can lead to hallucinations, which can trick you into thinking that your place is haunted. So if you get a different alarm clock or put it across the room, you know, whatever, make a small change, your your life might improve a little bit. And that was also extremely rewarding, you know? That's awesome. So tell me about your experience with witnessing the creature. Yeah, man. So uh, I w- it was February of 2020. So this was like a month before like the pandemic hit and, you know, everyone's happy and it seems like a thousand years ago. Uh, and uh, I'm in Maine, so it was like full-blown winter. It was like 20 degrees outside. And I'm driving on a stretch of road in Ellsworth, Maine. And uh, I'm going about 45 miles an hour because I always use my cruise control. So I know I was going about 45 miles an hour. Uh, I live in the sticks. So there's literally no one else on the road. And it's about six or so at night. So February in Maine at six o'clock, it's pitch black. (laughs) And uh, about a hundred yards up in front of me on the left-hand side of the road, my headlights start reflecting off of this, I don't know, like six 
five, six foot tall creature on the side of the road. And it, it honestly looked like it was made of like sticks, like it had stick, like a bundles of sticks for legs and arms. And there was a head and almost like a Groot head with antlers, if you will. And very thin, you know, spindly. And it took this exaggerated step because uh, uh, it was on the side of the road and it took this exaggerated step into the woods. And I say the exaggerated step because uh, in Maine anyways, uh, or a lot of rural roads, there's ditches for drainage on each side of the road. And that's like if I were walking on the road and I wanted to walk into the woods and I'm kind of short, I would actually have to jump over that little ditch or walk down into it and get my feet wet, you know. And this thing did this deliberate long step over the ditch and walked into the woods. So again, this is all happening within like five or 10 seconds of me seeing it going 45 miles an hour. It's like a hundred yards down the road. So very quickly I'm upon the spot where I watched it step into the woods. So when I get there, I have like my witness hat on, but I'm also like, all right, you're also like a researcher. So to like, don't freak out, like try to try to capture the moment, if you will, you know? So I stop in the middle of the road again, you know, desolate road, nobody's on there. So I can just stop in the middle of the road. And I'm looking into the woods. I roll my window down to see if I can hear, you know, snow or leaves crunching from its walking. I don't hear anything, but within moments, like a couple of seconds, I'm hit with this putrid stench of like rotting eggs, maybe, or like rotting chicken. It just fills my car. And uh, being a researcher, uh, a lot of people who have who have experienced uh, different types of cryptids, especially Sasquatch and dogmen, have described this putrid smell, you know, this sulfuric type of smell. And it just like got all up in my car. I was like, oh, my God, like this is crazy. So I stayed there for just a second, but now I'm freezing and it really stinks and I'm not hearing anything. I'm not seeing anything. So I decide to, to leave the location. And I only live like a couple miles down the road, but it, the stink was so bad. I had to put all four windows down just to try to like not gag. It was so bad. Wow. And, and then when I got home, I wrote the entire experience down and then I emailed it to uh, a buddy just so somebody could know kind of in the moment, if you will, you know what happened. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I saw. And I, I ended up doing uh, an interview later on last year, which was about like another project that I did. I had a book come out. And so I was being interviewed about that and, and they were asking me about my own encounters. I told them that story and they said that it's the appearance that I, I told that I explained, you know, with the spindly and the sticks and, you know, that it sounded like something called the vomit man. And apparently the vomit man is something that witnesses see down in the South and they see it in swampy areas and they call it the vomit man because it stinks so bad, but it kind of looks like this weird, like bundle of sticks, almost like a, uh, uh, the Blair witch symbol, like the original Blair witch symbol. But if that were like five or six feet tall, but also had like these weird antlers or other sticks coming out of its head, you know, walking around and people who have witnessed it have, have vomited because it stunk so bad. <laughs> I was like, huh, I wonder if that's what I saw. I don't know, but, but that's, that's, wow. that's something that I saw and it was weird. That's awesome. So what, what's up with this book? This is your fifth book now? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, is it my fifth book? 
Granite Skies. Yeah, I think called. that's yeah, I think that's my fifth book. This is my third like professionally published book, if you will. Okay. But yeah, this is Granite Skies, a disconcerted journey through the unknown. And my previous books have been like a collage of witness stories that I've compiled. This is the first book where I tell one person's story. And it's a a man from New Hampshire. And he's had a lifetime of encounters starting when he was about three, four years old. And it it includes abduction. It includes uh, aliens in his room, him interacting and speaking with aliens, uh, him seeing all sorts of different types of aliens, not just like, you know, the little gray alien that everybody kind of knows, but like uh, uh, lots of different kinds, some that look like trolls, some that wear like burlap sack type clothing, some that look like uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon, or maybe a more modern one is the Shape of Water, that kind of Aquaman type of thing, not Aquaman, but like a sea lizard man type thing, you know, with webbed hands and such. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just had a whole lifetime of these encounters. And all the while, though, it's turned him, it turned him at a young age into a very vulnerable and and uh, someone who really turned inward and developed a great uh, a, a great like real breadth of anxiety and depression about it all where he didn't think he could even tell people about it for the longest time and it wasn't until he got into his 20s when he started to share it more and was finding out that other people we're experiencing some similar things. So maybe he's not so, uh, or he's not such the weirdo, you know, but also during that time, since he had been kind of instilled at such a young age that he's crazy for maybe having these types of thoughts that it's hard for him to maintain relationships. It's hard for him to be in a marriage and to be a father and to really just be an adult. He was having a hard time with a lot of it. And there was this, this, kind of course of 10, 15 years where his marriage fell apart, personal relationships fell apart. And it got to the point where quite recently he wanted to end his life just to stop all of the, 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 the bullshit. And that was the bullshit brought on from it. The bullshit of his life kind of not going where he wanted it to go or thought it would go when he was younger. And he's sent, he decided not to. And that's an interesting thing on why he decided not to. It was actually another friend's death that pulled him out of it, uh, which is, you know, sad, uh, but uh, an interesting turn of events. And he's, I wouldn't say he's on the other side of it and he's 100%, you know, better and awesome now. He just doesn't want to kill himself right now. And I think that's really cool. And he's still working through everything. And, and instead of having a grim outlook, he has more of a hopeful outlook with, with grim moments, you know? So, yeah, this kind of relates to another thing I really wanted to talk to you about, which is the whole psychological component of this like leaving aside the idea that you know these experiences could be caused by some sort of mental state that precluded them um i'm thinking more about 
the effect of focusing on these um, types of studies and a close cousin to paranormal study, of course, is the conspiracy theory world. And lately, you know, I've been thinking more and more, and it's been kind of coming into the mainstream about the possible uh, dark psychological effects of thinking about these things um, in a certain way. And I wonder if you had any sort of thoughts around that. Uh, I, I do. Now, for this gentleman, his name's Mike. For him specifically, um, he 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 wasn't really focused on UFOs and extraterrestrial or even the paranormal. It was things that just kept happening to him and that he had to deal with. And those are the types of people that I talk to where they don't want any of this. And they're even reluctant to share, especially knowing that I want to share their story, you know, with other people. So, you know, that type of person or that type of group of people is certainly different than kind of what's going on with like QAnon and like this group think or mob mentality bullshit that's going on. Uh, there's definitely an aspect of that, uh, within the, uh, paranormal field and paranormal as an umbrella, which includes, you know, hauntings, UFOs, Bigfoot, like all that stuff. And there is definitely a group think dynamic there. There's also rampant racism. Like I've had to, uh, remove myself from, from, uh, uh, going on certain radio shows where, once I realized like who they were or what their agenda was or something like that, uh, was definitely on a different level that I didn't want to associate with or not go to certain conferences or, or have to cut myself off from certain people because of this kind of deep rooted racism that's kind of throughout, uh, the paranormal. I wouldn't say it's rampant. It's certainly not everybody, but it's a big chunk, kind of like what America is right now. Like I was sickened, uh, you know, to discover how many people I know that are racist and I've had to cut out of my life or block on Facebook or all that bullshit that we've, you know, had to do these days. And, um, so that's, that's kind of like really like the two different types of groups that I deal with, if you will, it's the experiencer where shit happens to them that they don't want to, that they don't try to think about, uh, that affects them on their daily lives. Cause you, you can't just stop being an experiencer. Someone like me who goes and looks for it, I can stop. You know, I, I, I go into a purportedly haunted house. I look up in the sky. I go into the woods probably when other people wouldn't, you know, it doesn't make me tough or anything. It just, I'm very passionate about something and I'm kind of an idiot because I'll do that stuff. Uh, but somebody who isn't looking for it, it scares them and they can't just stop being an experiencer. They still have to go to work. They still have to be a mom and dad or a brother or, or, or uh, a significant other or whatever. And so those are the types that I focus on. And then everyone else kind of seems, I don't know, like bullshit to me. And they're in this group think like uh, uh, for paranormal people, um, hauntings I'm talking about. Uh, a ghost is a dead person. I don't subscribe to that. And I don't really deal with those types of people. There's a whole other group where Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature. I know what it is. And it's this type of, you know, and they have some sort of Latin name for it that, uh, isn't accurate. And those people I don't really want to associate with. And then there's, uh, UFO believers that know it's like this 
particular species of alien. And there's also a nuts and bolts uh, UFO craft, you know, that has a name and where it originated from. And none of that makes sense to me. And I don't want to associate with it. But that's where you get into that whole group think or mob mentality type of uh, um I guess people, and I just do my best to try not to associate with it, you know, cause, cause I don't believe in it. It doesn't kind of go with my belief system. So I, uh, I'm aware of it. I do try to keep my finger on the pulse, I guess, of what new theories are out there and things like that, but I still stay true to myself. Like I haven't stopped doing that. I'm still going to believe what I want to believe and, and not be swayed. And, but if I'm given good rational information, then maybe I can be swayed, you know, but, but not in a group think mentality, but in a, you know, I'm making up my own personal opinion mentality because of uh, new information that I have gotten, you know. I'm kind of wondering if like focusing on all these spooky things makes you more prone to uh, being skittish walking down a, a dark path in the forest than you would otherwise be. I, I honestly, it's just the opposite. Like I walk every single day. I take a long walk every day, but I don't, I, I wait until nighttime to go. Uh, like before you and I got on, like I was driving back from, <laughs> from going on my, my nightly walk. And, uh, it's my favorite thing to do. I hope to encounter something, uh, th- that's a big deal. Um, uh, the less light, the better, you know, so I, I'm all about that. But if there's a bug on me, I'll freak out. Um, I'm in a relationship with somebody and they think something not good about me. I freak out, (laughs) you know? So those are the types of things I'm scared of. It's not being out in the dark or bumps in the night. You know, those, those things are cool. The other stuff's not too cool, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just really interested in the whole, like, um, I guess anthropological angle of the conspiracy theory world and the, um, the various different personality types, like you mentioned, like there seems to be a big sort of grifter element in this, uh, in these worlds, as well as like, there's a certain thing within a lot of people where we want to be certain or we want to, uh, find things that sort of reaffirm us a sort of narrative that we've already decided is real and they're just kind of looking for evidence um this sort of like false sense of certainty yeah um that's put perfectly well and those are the types of witnesses i talk to a lot and it can be tough sometimes to explain to them like my thought process on it you know like somebody wants me to tell them like yes you experienced a a a dead person and it was probably your grandmother or you experienced a gray alien and da 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 and oftentimes i can't do that for them and i guess the thing that i do and a lot of researchers do not all but a lot of researchers do is to approach somebody like that with kindness and uh, an open mind without judgment and whatever you find or whatever you present, if it's presented in that way, they can handle and they can take in much better because they, they feel heard, they feel seen. And even though I don't have a concrete answer, somebody listened to them and didn't immediately think they were crazy or, or, or whatever. And, uh, um, that's, that's a big deal for a lot of people, but you're right. A lot of 
a lot of people come at it from that angle that you were just talking about, these preconceived notions, or they need whatever is ethereal or otherworldly, they need to make some sort of sense of it, you know, and our own brains do that all the time. You know, that's where seeing shapes in the clouds come from. It's our human mind trying to, you know, make sense of nonsense, you know, and we're trying to do that um, psychologically and with philosophy with people. And it's really difficult. Yeah. It relates to the the term I was recently introduced to apophenia, which I don't know if you or other listeners are familiar with it, but it's a Basically, it's like our um, innate uh, tendency to find patterns in nature can kind of go out of control. If you're, say, for example, looking for the number 23 everywhere and it starts popping up and you start seeing more and more patterns and feel start feeling eventually maybe like, you know, some higher power is sending you a message or you're seeing the evidence of some all-encompassing force everywhere. And it's like something that can kind of snowball. Absolutely. And I've even like found myself falling towards that um, kind of downward spiral when I was sort of more deep into conspiracy theorizing like a, over a decade ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, like the whole David Icke stuff and, and uh, you know, lizard people. And I mean, you can go down a road so far to where you come out on the other side, like these QAnon weirdos, you know, and, and what they're spewing and, and, and believing is real right now. It's, it's, it's unreal. And I, I didn't know there was a word for it. So that's really cool. Yeah. It's my favorite word of the, of the year so far. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess I wonder if you've witnessed any other like fellow researchers kind of going down this path of like getting more and more paranoid and seeing it get out of control. I don't think I've seen someone like 100% spiral, but I've definitely seen them um, kind of go out of control a little bit. And when I or somebody else has expressed concern it's it's met with well, you don't understand and it gets all like conspiratorial again you know like they're seeing the bigger picture somehow and you know i'm not and that's honestly when i step back and again it's not like these are like close friends i think if it was a close friend that was spiraling or, or kind of losing control i would maybe invest a little bit more time but you know for the most part these are people i've never met in person or their acquaintances or you know something like that where i'm like okay just go do your thing you know like i can only do so much and have to walk away you know yeah and i think you mentioned the element of racism, and I think the first episode of your series this season also dealt with that a little bit. Um, it does, yeah. And I think it's really interesting to think about because racism is essentially like fear of the other, and what this a lot of the paranormal research is like a fascination with the other. And um, there may be... You know, those seem like a contradiction, but absolutely. There, there's also like this sort of fetishization of the other, which I've been reading about, which, you know, has been presented as like a having its roots in slavery and like a 
black people being turned into an object as opposed to a person. And I don't know, maybe that's going out on a limb, but I think it, it still um, is interesting to think about also how the, the roots of racism in conspiracy theories, which again are just like in the same realm as the paranormal, like researching the unseen, you know, sure. Um, how they have, you know, I think almost as far back as you can go into conspiracy theories, you'll find the anti-Semitic um, concepts, which in my estimation, I, I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that um, Kabbalah historically had some secret levels that the average person wasn't allowed to know about, right. which I think is maybe the same reason that the Freemasons became such a huge topic of conspiracy theories yeah. is like there's these secret meetings and people are going to project like their worst fears right. into them. Yeah, yeah. It's like this this uh, irrational conspiratorial fear of the unknown. And I guess in my opinion, when that happens, it, it does go to, or it can go to the worst case scenario. I've read about it going to the worst case scenario. You know what, you know, people eating, you know, the brains of babies at Bohemian Grove, you know, just like crazy shit, you know what I mean? And stuff I was eating up, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but now, you know, looking back at, or, or looking through, I guess, more rationality and, and I don't know, experience age. I don't know why it's changed, but it has. And it's, it's, kind of scary to think about you know the i guess the quote average person out there where their brain can go conspiracy wise to the point where like antifa becomes like a bad word like no we're supposed to be anti-fascist like what are you talking about like there was a whole war like what happened you know like it doesn't make sense to me logically but then once you start breaking it down and you get all the way down to the individual and you kind of start going back up to uh, uh, uh i guess perspective and and what they were taught growing up uh, about race or you know how that was handled and it, you can kind of follow it to like where it is now and like oh, okay i guess that makes sense but when you're looking at it i mean makes sense <laughs> makes sense in the way that it shouldn't make sense is what I'm saying. Like, I don't support that or anything, but you can kind of see where it got all fucked up and it shouldn't have happened, you know? Anyways. Yeah. I think there could also be like an evolutionary explanation as far as how maybe we evolved to look for danger and to be um, sure. sort of alert yeah. for any sort of a boogeyman that might, you know, endanger us or our family or the tribe or whatever. So now that we're all in these relatively safe environments, we have some unconscious need to find an enemy, even if that's interesting. It's not necessarily wow. there. Yeah. And what I might find as a quote enemy might be more emotional or mental. You know, the my next door neighbor, it could be a, a black person. And why those two things are vastly different in how I got to where I did and where, why they got to where they did. I mean, a whole host of, of economic and, and, and nature versus nurture type of things, you know, could, could have happened, you know, along that 
person's evolution and my own evolution. Because not to say that mine's any better because it's mental or emotional or doesn't involve race, you know. Uh, it feels like it's better, but I, I don't want to go out on a limb and say it's better. But uh, I, I, I just, it's really hard for me on the surface to, how should I put it? Um, like I, I can, I have no problem like being a friend of somebody who's like a Trump supporter a while ago, but this is a man who came out blatantly supporting white supremacy. So now just the way it works for me is if you're a Trump supporter, I assume you're a racist. And now that's, you don't have any room in my life because we can disagree about politics or uh, a whole host of different things, but you know, basic human rights and, and how to treat a human being like, nah, like you're out of my life. I, I don't have time for you. I'm not, it's, it feels uh, like an uphill unwinnable battle to try to change an opinion, especially if I'm not invested in you as a person. So it's really easy for me to cut people like that out of my life. You know, I kind of, I guess I don't know where I was going with that tangent, but, uh, it, it, well, yeah, it makes me think a lot about, oh, the last few years, just wanting to change people's minds that seem like they're so wrong for yeah. supporting Trump, um, is a big one. And I do feel like there's a lot of cases where people don't think they're racist and Absolutely. they don't think Trump is racist because they're blinded. They're blinded by the faith that they put into this person. And I was recently looking at the different types of knowing. There's now like eight different types of knowing that are widely kind of accepted in the psycho psychological field or whatever. And some of them contradict each other. Like Logic reason based knowing is a, is just as powerful as is a faith based knowing, which has reason and logic has no bearing on it. Right. And I I've been going into the dark waters late, lately on Gab. I went on to Gab just to like see what all the right wing people oh. are talking about in uh, the aftermath of being kicked off of uh you know all the QAnon accounts were purged from twitter and stuff and so i went over there to see what they're talking about especially after january 6th and um ended up getting into some like <laughs> theological debates with people and coming up against this concept of faith where they really like one person just said it straight out i have faith in jesus and that's why I have faith in Trump. And I was like, oh, wow, there's nothing I can say then to like, no. like change your mind. And yeah. it's sad that we've, it, there just seems to be like this wall between us. Um, yeah. That's fucked. But people can lose their faith. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're seeing um, some of that happening. I, I don't know, like in regards to what we're talking about right now, as far as like Republican support, I don't know how much of it is performative, you know, so it, it's tough for me to trust, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's fucked up though, to that intermingling of, of faith and belief, like in one thing and how it, for some reason, means that this other thing that has nothing to do with it is now a part of it. And yeah, now I believe that wholeheartedly. I don't know. They, uh, nothing surprises me though. So, 
And I think it's most people's tendency to just, when they see that this wall of difference between people where we're on like opposite ends of the spectrum and there doesn't seem to be any way of changing each other's mind, our inclination is just to be like, fuck you or just turn your back yeah. and just to, to make the divide even further. But I do feel like as difficult as it is, as much as it like even makes me like nauseous sometimes to think about like intermingling with these people, I do think that integration is a way that like your your like Antifa fearing neighbor, you know, if it came down to like a civil war where he's like, yeah, the neighbor, he's Antifa, I'm supposed to kill him. If you're, if you were friendly with that neighbor, you know, if you at least were able to like talk over the fence and share a barbecue, they're probably not going to turn you in or they'll be less likely to like to get violent with you. So I don't know, maybe there is something to say for like trying to respectfully rub shoulders with your enemy. I don't know. Yeah, no, I... I think I would really have to think about that a lot more, but on the surface, it does seem like there's something to that. It doesn't mean you support them. It doesn't mean you support their thought process and, and support their hate. Uh, but just being, I guess the type of person I am, like as soon as hate speech kind of comes into it, uh, it's really hard for me to not be done with you, you know? And, and maybe yeah. that is something I need to work on, but don't really care to work on, you know, at the same yeah. time, you know, that's, that's an interesting thought process to have, you know? Yeah. I think it, it takes a real certain personality type to be able to engage with people like that and not lose your temper. And yeah, to- yeah, yeah. Now, like- I think it's actually done hundreds of times a, a day respectfully on, you know, TV shows where there's some sort of debate or something happening or or maybe on a podcast or these shows on Vice where, you know, you hang out with a racist for the day and at the end of the episode, everybody's friends and, you know, maybe a mind has changed just a little bit or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think there is some of that that's happening. But again, I think a lot of it is performative and you know, I think there's a lot of soul searching on an individual level that a lot of people need to be doing, you know, or, or maybe not need. I don't want to tell anybody what to do, but it wouldn't hurt to do. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have a long way to go as far as uh, humanity. But uh, so Granite Skies, the new book available wherever you get books, right? Where's the best place for people to find it? Uh, everything can be found at allmylinks.com slash Slevic. You can find my books, documentaries, music, all that stuff can be found there. But if you uh, simply Google Granite Skies, uh, the book is going to come up. And then for the music, it's nomarslevic.bandcamp.com, right? Yeah, that's right. And with each book I put out, I try to do like a little soundtrack for it. So I did do a soundtrack for Granite Skies. There's like one new song, but the rest is like a compilation of all of my like exopolitical type songs. Life is the center of a sinner. Cautionary tales is only for beginners. Damn. But only for a moment, the dark it stays, then you begin to own it. Life came into this world, lonely man. Gonna leave this world the same way.
and it's available on cassette and digital. All right. Anything else to tell the people about? Uh, geez, not really, man. Just, you know, don't be racist, be a good person, uh, wear a mask, all that good stuff. If you're listening to this, I think it's likely that you like podcasts about rap music, and you might like this one called RJ Hates Rap. The concept for this show is there's a gay white guy who hates rap and knows nothing about it. He teams up with his best friend, a straight black guy who knows a lot about rap. They listen to a rap song each episode, and they talk about it. Now, I can't listen to this. It's too much for me. It's just Tope, the straight guy, is nearly as flamboyant and loud and sassy as RJ. It's just a lot to take in. I wish they would drink less coffee before each episode or something, but I do think it's a great, interesting concept, and maybe you will like it, so give it a try. RJ Hates Rap. And we are sponsored by a new social networking app. You can rub shoulders with the hottest movers and shakers in the industry. Get strung out on the latest dopamine dispensing platform and waste your life away with Circle Jerk. Keep staring at that screen and let your narcissism flourish. Download Circle Jerk today. Use promo code I'm sad. Now for the music recommendations this time around, I wanted to try something a little bit different. Instead of just talking about the music myself, I thought I would let the artists themselves talk about it. So, first up, it's Algernon Cornelius. I was having trouble coming up with words to properly kind of encapsulate it. So how would you describe your latest album, which is, it's called The Miraculous Weapons of Clarkus Dark. I don't know, I guess it's just a rap album, really. Um, But just all of my influences and sound so like yeah i don't really know how to describe it other than that like it's still got all the hallmarks of like rap that i like i think i guess like i came up through like a sort of punk and noise scene in leeds so it probably has like some edges of that as well as other things I always think like the, the rainbow on the album cover is kind of like that's what it is basically. Yeah, I love the album cover. Thanks. Like you say, it really complements the album. It reminds me of like a degraded version of like the Pink Floyd uh, Dark Side of the Moon cover, sort of. And you clearly have a wide range of influences there from like noise to probably Sun Ra, I'm guessing, and all kinds of different hip hop. So yeah, I love that. And um, what would you say we're dealing with... uh, thematically subject matter wise 
I mean, like all sorts of things. I think like that was like a very specific time in my life where like there was a lot of death and other things like going on. So that was like quite a heavy theme. I think everybody kind of gets to an age where they realize things are like quite temporary. So that becomes like a very existential thing that you're faced with. Down, I'm a dead weight. Time flies when you suffocate. Mind state, resident evil. Share my mirrors from my blind side. Dark figure. Bed frame is my new cage. Angel wings clipped. New to Spain. Call me out on my homepage. Novocaine. Can't chat with no teeth in my mouth, bro. Can't stop, I can't cry that. Yeah, I definitely picked up on some uh, existential suffering and grief in there. But it's done in a kind of abstract, poetic way, which I really like. So. It definitely, I think, rewards uh, study and repeated listening. So that's always good, I think. Um, so yeah, you say this is your first rap album, although you actually have like a pretty sizable back catalog of mostly instrumental music. And then you also did like a collection of rap singles, which is really cool too. What's that album called? Uh, that's neither glowing nor argent both before and after the dark. It's another really long convoluted title. Yeah, I love that title. So uh, how's the hip hop scene in um, Manchester? Um, I don't really know because I'm not really in it. Like there's people I know about. There's like a load of really good drill that's kind of from around Manchester, which I only sort of see on the internet, but don't really know what's going on i feel quite detached from it yeah yeah i feel a bit outside of those scenes but i see things happening but are you connected to a music scene out there yeah like i'd say there's like a good community of people doing stuff which i get involved with like a lot of people doing like very experimental weird sort of music that end up being on the same bill together what are some other uh, experimental or avant-garde sort of uh, hip-hop artists that you would recommend that you think maybe not enough people know about? I guess from where I'm at, like Ice Boy Violet do like really amazing grime experimental rap stuff. They're a really good producer as well. They've done like loads of ambient music. Um, their live show's incredible as well. It's kind of like being at church almost. It's like a really cathartic experience. He said beauty is pain. You look a real killer. I can make you a star, make you a winner. Pull my car quick, slip of the finger. Then he saw me sharp, sharp, good, shattered off the mirror. And, uh, Oh, it's Mensa as well, who's like an amazing lyricist. He's from Sheffield. Um, I would say he's probably like one of the top lyricists in the country. This little bit of bus is serendipitous. But our rise and shine and falling out the sky like Icarus. Building bridges up and then jump from cognitive dissonance. The rig of the fine on the ledge where the preacher meets the physicist. Ooh, yeah. When each of meets the burning push, it goes the wind from the lungs of a psalmist with a certain grunt. 
So I'm here with Darko the Super, who produced, arranged, and mixed the new MF Grimm album. What's it called, Evan? The Hunt for the Gingerbread Man 2, Get the Dough. Yes. In stores now. Yeah, amazing radio play musical album. Kind of reminds me of like Prince Paul psychoanalysis or uh, Prince Among Thieves on steroids and mushrooms. Oh, Beautiful. Thank you. Roller coaster of an album. Yeah. While leaving the courthouse, we asked, did she have any notion that her son was a delusional cannibal cult leader and monster sympathizer? She replied, Chip was always a good boy. I don't know what got into my son that would make him think he was a regular fuzzy monster. Oh, it pains me to know that Chip would be ashamed or deny being a cookie. He was what went into the creation of this? Because it's got a pretty complex ensemble, it seems like. A lot of different voices and characters, which I realize Grimm plays a lot of them. But I want to know how this thing came together, how it was conceived, and how it was created. Okay. Uh, well, I reached out to Grimm um, back in the summer of 2019 about reissuing The Hunt for the Gingerbread Man, the original. I wanted to do like a, uh, you know, a gingerbread man-shaped um, record. Yeah. Um, or, or just a picture disc that, you know, looked like a cookie. I don't know. Had some ideas. You know, we were bouncing things back and forth. But, uh, yeah, and then the next day he listened to my beats, and he really loved them, and he said, why don't we do the sequel? You know, so, and that was way back then. Uh, you know, a year ago he started... He recorded it all in, you know, a couple sessions out in L.A. And, yeah, sent me the files, and, you know, I just worked on it from there. It was, you know, a long process. We came up with, well, he came up with all these skits and, like, you know, weird commercials and, you know, videos he wanted me to watch. And, um, you know, I took that all together and, you know, arranged it and pieced it together to beats and things like that. And um, even watched uh, Cornbread Earl and Me, which was a really cool movie, and, you know, he, he had a very, uh, very much a vision for this album. And um, I think it's a lot more, you know, focused on the conceptual um, element than than the first one even. And for the characters, you know, it was mostly Grimm and, the you know, Eddie Murphy in the barbershop. But, uh, you know, some of them were, you know, friends of mine, like uh, this comedian, Hot Town Buffet. He did he did the uh, he did a few skits on there and. Um, you know, I had had a lot of friends working on this album. You know, a lot of a lot of the sampling was um, uh, buddies from this label, already dead tapes. You know, I was sampling a lot of that. I had my buddy Jared, you know, the sax watch playing saxophone all over this. Grim came up with all these character names for you know everyone who played a part in this. My girlfriend, who's an actress, played you know on a skit, and yeah, it I, it really came together. You know, yeah. What percentage of it would you say Grimm himself wrote? I was just curious about all the dialogue and stuff, if that was all his writing or how that worked. Oh, it was, yeah. Um, both the news skits are all him. Trusted source in United Cakes News. Breaking news today, Antonio the Tiger has escaped from Candyland Penitentiary. As you may know, he is highly addicted to fraud. Flakes. If you come um, the uh, a pimp named Sugarcane, the um, you know the sort of eulogy that ends it. Um, you know, I gave my buddy Hot Town Buffet Salvador. I gave him some general ideas, but he really, you know, took it upon himself to, you know, come up with all that stuff. A lot of it is just sampling and you know coming up with all these piecing all these different 
clips together and making it, you know, say something else. So my favorite character on the album, I think, is Little Biscuit. Rest in peace. Cornbread, Earl, and me. Yeah, I was curious who who played that voice. Oh, that's MF Grimm. Yeah. Oh. It, it's just a pitched up effect. He wanted to sound like like the child in Cornbread, Earl, and me. Um, oh. Yeah, at, who I believe is played by Lawrence Fishburne. Okay. Yeah, that was a great. I lo- I just love that voice. So he's a pretty good uh, voice actor. Now, how much was Grimm involved in? Your production and arrangement, how much back and forth was there, or how much free reign did he allow you, and how did that whole relationship kind of unfold? Um, you know, I would work on work on the stuff, and, he, you know, he'd give me ideas, and we'd bounce back, you know, things he wanted to try, and, you know, things with the mix and all that, um, you know, dropping out certain parts, and we both worked together as, you know, sort of one mind on this, you know, I would execute his visions, and, you know, and I would come up with the beats on my own end and uh but yeah he he it's really from the mind of mf Grimm, you know and i think he's you know i think he's a genius with the concept albums he you know considers all his albums to be concept albums and you know i gotta agree on that you know even the hunt for the gingerbread man feeds into you know american hunger and all that so uh you know i think it was i think it was all you know him telling me what everything meant i think that was the biggest part is him telling me what this is trying to portray you know I wonder if you can kind of summarize the narrative or at least set up the plot of the story that's told, if it is a cohesive thing. I don't know. I've only had a couple of days to absorb it. So can you talk about that? Um, yeah, there's, there's really a lot going on. And, you know, it's kind of sort of a complex story. But, um, you know, it's all about the United Cakes of America. And it's all about sort of looking at United States as a, uh, you know, a nation in candy form. You know, it's all like... There's, you know, cookies and, you know, there's Oreos and there's, you know, um, <laughs> you know, the gingerbread men. And, you know, there's a lot going on. It's all these, ba- you know, baked goods gone bad, basically. It's, you know, it's his usual, you know, take on his life and everything, but told in sort of candy form, you know, confectionate. And, uh, you know, I just think he sprinkles a whole bunch of sugar on, you know, almost I think it plays on the whole sugar coating things almost. You know, I never really talked to him about that, but you know, I think that's I think that's a big part of it, maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think it's I think it's just supposed to be cinematic. You know, the a lot of things lead into other things, like uh, you know, the batter sort of um leads into yeast and the baking soda, the the narrative of those, and um, the new skits focus all on on the song Murder Cookies, and you know, if you listen to the end of it with the uh, um, you know, monster cookie going on. It's, it's like, you know, he never ate vegetables and whole wheat bread or whatever. And, and those, those things are, are the lawyers in the new skits. And, um, I don't know, it's representing a lot. I feel like it's all just somewhat satirical, but also it's all metaphor. Each, each song has a, has a story behind it. You know, Glycerize Glabra. That's, uh, you know, that's all about black licorice and black jelly beans. And, you know, they're, they're at the bottom of the bowl and no one's picking them. You know, no one no one wants the yeah. wants the black licorice and black jelly beans. Yeah. 
You know, it's a lot going on. I think it's a lot to unravel and unpack, you know, like uh, some people have said it's a very dense listen and things like that. But I think once you take it all in, I think it, you know, paints a picture and it's a cinematic type of thing. It's someone told me it's immersive. And I thought I thought that was cool. Yeah, it does feel like a universe. And like you were saying, it's like it's getting at a lot of harsh realities and and dark tales, but it has this candy coating, which makes it go down a lot more smoothly, which is just a great, great concept, I think. So I love the album. Oh, thank you. And um, I really enjoyed like the animated video that you have out for one of the tracks. Do you have any more of those on the way or anything? Um, hopefully. I know we're gonna we're working with them on uh, some other stuff, but yeah, that was just a fan of Grimm who reached out on Facebook and he put that together in three weeks. It was really incredible and hopefully we'll do more videos. There's a lot a lot coming from this album, you know, I'll say. Uh, you know, some stuff I I probably shouldn't say right now, but you know, yeah, there's a lot going on. It's it's been it's been, you know, a life changing thing for me and you know, it's been a journey. That's great. Yeah. I hope maybe one of those things is like a comic book, you know, like a nice full color comic book could accompany this album. But oh yeah. anyway, what do we got from Darko the Super? If people don't know, Darko is also a rapper and a great one, a hilarious one. So uh, what's the latest uh, project that you got out? Uh, you know, I don't, I honestly can't think of what I just put out, but I, I know I'm working on a lot. You know, I did this whole album with, uh, you know, sampling the discography of, you know, a buddy of mine now, Dean Friedman. You know, he's one of my favorite songwriters of the 80s and just a beautiful genius. So I he gave me his, gave me a USB with his whole discography on there, unreleased demos even. And, you know, I made a whole album sampling that and playing off his songs, you know. So this is something that's on its way or is this out? Uh, it's not out yet. I'm, it's all done, you know. It's okay. hoping for some big moves with that one, I'm hoping. I just started one with Hike Keach. We're trying to do a J-Lib style almost, you know, with me on his beats, him on mine. You know, work, working on a lot of stuff. My latest release that I'm really hyped on is There's a Horse in the Hospital. That's the latest thing I did. Yeah, it's great. You can find everything on my um, my record label, You Don't Deserve This Beautiful Art. Yeah, uddtba.bandcamp.com. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yikes. The zero. Yeah, man. So I wanted to talk about your album, uh, An Echo Storm Howling. I just want to let more people know about it. You know, I thought the production is really awesome. The whole thing has this mood of like a fantastical, enchanted forest after dark kind of a thing. Cool. Yeah. And your voice is unique. I, I love your voice and the delivery, kind of 
poetically abstract lyrics. Thanks. You know, and it's all complemented by your your surreal cover art, which is mm-hmm. as with your your entire discography, I think. This was the first album I heard of yours mm-hmm. and I thought I'd I'd go back and check out your other work and I figured as I would go back it would be not as good, but you know, I, I kept going back further and further and I, I feel like you've been consistently making great music, you know, since the beginning. So I highly recommend all your stuff to anyone that's listening. Thank you. Um, On whatever zone you were sitting on, punch the phone that he home for good distance. Brand new batch at Lagger OE. Same old AMHA's one degree. Now, hold up the dust to LD all day. So, can you tell me what does Echo Storm Howling mean? And Echo Storm Howling, I don't know. It's just, uh, it just kind of relates to the production style, I guess. Um, it might sound like a concept album, but it's not really a concept album. It was me making music and and putting the best songs together that I felt, you know, comfortable with. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Echo Storm Island. Well, it's a great sounding title. I'll tell you my my interpretation of it was like echoes are like memories. So it's like a storm of memories. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, yeah. To be honest, I don't even know what I was thinking when I came up with the album title. I just knew I wanted it to sound interesting. I just wanted to... Damn, my cat just keeps attacking me. But yeah, I just wanted to uh, make something that stands out that, you know, people might see and be like, what kind of album title is that? Let me see what this is about, you know? Yeah. I like uh, the supernatural elements and uh, stuff like that. I get my influences from generally not really from music or other musicians. Uh, it's it's from folklore and from uh, science fiction movies and um uh, I think a long ass time ago, I, I the the light went off, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna look for other musicians or other MCs or producers for inspiration. I'm gonna look for, I'm gonna look into other stuff I'm into. Like like I said, movies. I love science fiction movies. I love fantasy. I love uh, comic books and all that stuff. And uh, you know, I try to you know weave it into uh, your know, hip hop form. Yeah, that that all comes through very clearly for sure. Like you mentioned, the word supernatural, and that that definitely rings true. So you said it's not a concept album, but what themes and subject matter are you dealing with in the lyrics? Um, Depends on the song, really. Um, I don't know. We're talking about Echo Storm. I don't even know what the first track is. What is it? Um, Well, I want to talk about the first track, because that was one that I was just kind of like trying to decipher. Um, It's We the Morlocks. It was us, caught up in a rush, not like we never took time to put them in check. They can't see it's not me. Think about the hair you leave, and if it's not good enough, then leave you the help and serve for, for good measure. Whether the storm ain't an affair, but the outcome look, but don't stand. Cause says it's split, the one this for kids. And when the shit hits the fan, we adjust the head. Going off, we don't have to do it like that. Cause when we never take the yeah, more like that. So there's a, a movie, I think it was a book, maybe H.G. Wells, I could be wrong. It's a time machine. Um, the Morlocks were the uh, creatures that they discovered, but it's also uh, a group of mutants in the uh, in the X-Men books. And uh, they live underground. And uh, I do underground music, you know. What goes along with a lot of my stuff is I talk about uh, being undiscovered and being, uh, in essence, living underground. And... Yeah. Uh, 
So it's just kind of like we the people, yeah. we the, we the outcasts, you know. Yeah, that's a feeling I got from hearing that song and some of your others. It's like this declaration of independence and triumph and being proud to be different, kind of. Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah. Uh, struggle like and perseverance. But yeah, it's uh, it is kind of like a declaration of independence to the extreme, I guess. It's just uh, nice. weird, weird. You know, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of people, especially a lot of rappers, like, "Well, you a weirdo," and no, weird is good to me. Like, I don't, you know, what I mean, word. Yeah, I stand out. I don't, I don't sound like you. I don't sound like what you do. That's that's a good thing to me. That's what a lot of my stuff is about. Like, uh, we've been down enough for coming up and settling you know, the score. We want to do something for the people. Yeah, that's awesome. Now that brings me to another track on this album, uh, "Broken Sun," and that got me. Uh, you know, again, I was just like kind of trying to figure it out. And then I started realizing that the sun comes into a fair amount of your other tracks on your other albums and it's on the uh, album covers. And then I realized the moon is also coming in there. So I don't know if I'm looking too deeply into things, but uh, what's I mean, you might you might be a little bit. Um, <laughs> I know I have some songs with the sun in the title. Um, I would I would have to like go back and like. I mean, you would have to drop a couple of those. Yeah. Let's just talk about that one song then, Broken Sun. Like, what is that talking about? Looks like another broken sun. I bet you won't believe what he has done. I lost a lot of people in my life, you know, I lost brothers, you know. Um I'm not the same as <laughs> maybe I was before that. And uh, you know, I guess broken son is kinda like a ode to that, but also, you know, I like to do have double and triple meanings in a lot of my stuff. What I interpreted it as was like a broken sun is like a day past and an era or event which has ended. Just yeah. like it's also like you know, kind of you know, like a, like an eclipse. I'm I always consider myself a moon, a moon child because you know, when I was growing up, I was that kid, the weird friend that like you know everybody's doing this cool shit. Like cats would be like gambling and playing cards and shit while I'm working on like some odd mixtape or something. You know, my head was always in the cloud. Um, they call those people moon childs. Yeah, cool. And I guess that's kind of what the theme for Broken Sun is. Cool. Well, you mentioned you're working on some new stuff. I'm excited to hear what you got coming out. So can you talk about that at all? Yeah, the new shit. Uh, I'm working on this album um, with uh, my band. Um, you know, we got a, we have a DJ, Skip Mode. Yeah. One of the best in the city. My guitarist TC, you know, he does like a junk folk, uh, punk rock, you know, folky bluegrass combination of stuff on his own. And then we got my boy, um, Severe, very unique voice, uh, very talented, probably my favorite MC in the city. But it's all, it's all really tight, all like literally like best of friends, you know. And um, the name of the album is called The Oomph. We're pretty much done with it. I'm, I'm starting to work on artwork for it. it we're excited for it. And what's the name of the band? Oh, it's called Grand Menace. G-R-A-N-D-M-A-N-T-I-S. Weird rap. 
water. Mind is designed, I take shine out the focus. A lens fade up mind, leading blind to the opus. With your tongue from the east, casting spells. Chucking hellfire well, understated. Hope the lock us in the cell. Heat, not but not, but tell you nothing at the bugger. The heartbeat's a product of the score, the mood of saga. You can call me Jagger. You won't be lying at the gate. We supply you a fate. Take your heart to the escape. We'll be switching up the broadcast. Tearing up the path, got up thinking that we mad. We're just here to make them laugh. In a room full of mirrors, crack, front house collapse, bunch of knuckleheads here. Any uh, last words you want to leave the people with? Nah, man, just keep, uh, you know, I mean, I appreciate any type of support that I get. Um, so, you know, uh, like I want I want to say something like your support is going to keep me going and keep. But I'm going to keep making music till I'm fucking 100 years old. I know it. I, already, I can already tell. But yeah, we have work to do. We have a lot of work to yeah. do. Yeah, and the spot to go to is yikesthezero.bandcamp.com, right? To get your yeah, stuff? Yeah, you can go there. We have stuff. It's everywhere right now as far as distribution goes. You, you can find yeah. it pretty much anywhere, but uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely keep me posted about future releases, and I'll be in touch. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, y'all. I want to let you know I'm always updating youtube.com slash weirdrap. That includes a ton of playlists like the Weird Rap Discussion Gang, documentaries, music videos, and much more. I recently added a new playlist there called Awful Rap, which is a collection of rap that, to me, is so bad it's good. And eh, it's not for everyone, but I think it's entertaining. Anyway, that and much more is at youtube.com slash weirdrap. Likewise, I'm always adding new stuff to soundcloud.com slash weirdrap. I recently reposted a bunch of great and peculiar Finnish rap music. And there's the ever-growing Spotify playlist, Weird Rap Radio. That's at Spotify without the vowels, S-P-T-F-Y dot com slash weirdrap. Now, I want to mention when the pandemic lifts, I don't know how I'm going to continue doing this weird rap thing to the degree that I have. So, I'm just saying if you appreciate it, maybe you could help spread the word because I feel like if I had like maybe 200 patrons, I could probably stay afloat and not have to go back to my regular job. You could also support by leaving a rating and review at weirdrap.com slash rating or however else you want to do it at Apple or Google or whatever. Um, Tell some friends that might enjoy it. And for as little as three bucks a month, you can support the cause at Patreon. You can cancel anytime. For this episode, you get a bonus 15 minutes each of my talks with Orko and Nomar get the full back catalog of bonus episodes including anti-pop consortium new kingdom and many more uh five bucks allows you to take part in the usually weekly weird rap discussion gang zoom meeting on thursdays 6 p.m pst you can talk to us via text and we will read and respond to you probably and there's even higher tiers where you can get t-shirts and there's ways to get your music featured on the podcast you'll find all that at patreon.com slash finally you can find us on all the social medias and reddit 
All the aforementioned are conveniently accessible via weirdrap.com. As we wind down, I'd just like you to remember to take a deep breath every once in a while. Recognize that things could always be worse. Know that your uniqueness is valuable and infinitely echoes throughout the world. So be weird and be proud. Bye-bye. Sounds good. How do we how how should we sign off? Oh, is this <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to a Weird Rap Podcast. I'm Dark of the Super. Have a nice day. <laughs>